Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And for a few moments this morning, I'd like to have your attention book of John chapter 6, a very eventful chapter in the story of the gospel and the life of Jesus. And you're going to see why in just a few moments. Amen. This is a message I've titled, Laboring for Life. I, uh, I found an interesting little illustration here. This, uh, the, the, the following rules apply to a new club that is opening soon. It's called the Coronary and Ulcer Club. And they are giving the following rules for potential members. Number one, your job always comes first. Forget everything else. Number two, Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays are great times to be working. Nobody else will bother you at the office. Number three, make sure you always keep work on your mind even when you're not at your desk. This way you can stay troubled and worried throughout the day. Number four, whenever boss requests uh, open shift, make sure you always say yes and never no. Number five, accept every invitation to... uh, Meetings and banquets and committees and various other tasks that have to take priority over your personal life. Number six, any recreation is just a waste of time. Remember, we're talking about rules to join the new coronary and ulcer club. Number seven, make sure you never delegate any responsibility to anybody else. Carry all of the load yourself. Number eight, if your work calls for traveling, make sure you're working all day and traveling at night so that way you'll be tired. Number nine, no matter how many jobs you're already doing, remember, you could always take on more. And by following these simple rules, you too could join the Coronary and Ulcer Club and have an empty, unfulfilled life. There is a real temptation this morning for most men and some women to work so much and so hard that they miss out on joys of what life is really all about. And in the scripture we're about to read, Jesus gives us some instruction for maintaining a healthy work-life balance that I want to share with you this morning 
The message I've titled again, Laboring for Life. Let's read together John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Before this service is over today, I hope that that phrase will be tattooed on your heart. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we're praying this morning for your grace, for your mercy and your strength today. I pray for the men of this congregation and for families and for everyone here under the sound of my voice today. Lord, let us recognize and realize, God, that you have created us for labor. But God, with that recognition, God, to realize that you've also created us for your glory. And I'm praying, God, to help us resist the temptation of being workaholics and married to our secular work. God, let us once again remember that there is a greater work that we must accomplish with our lives. There is a greater calling this morning. And let us, Lord, focus our lives in such a way that will bring glory to your name and glory to your kingdom. God, let us focus on eternal things and not only on what perishes. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity today in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. I want to preach this message with grace this morning, and I'm not trying to step on any toes, but... You know, they, they said if, if your toes are getting stepped on, you can either buy some steel-toed shoes or you can move your feet. And my prayer this morning is that I would inspire some people to start moving their feet today rather than hardening our hearts, laboring for life. And I want to look first at the reality that most of us, we have to labor for loaves. Laboring for loaves. The context, <coughs> excuse me, the context of this scripture is very interesting. This uh, scripture that we read, verses 26 and 27, in the midst of chapter 6 of the book of John, is such an interesting study to begin to think about. John chapter 6, if you are familiar with this chapter, and you should be, It begins with an incredible miracle. It begins with the the famous story of how Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus their wives and their children and other people that were there that day. An incredible miracle of God. It is a fantastic story that teaches about the miracle-working power of Jesus Christ. It teaches us that He should be our all-sufficient Savior. That as a crowd of people have come to Christ to hear Him teaching, He is a concern not only for their souls, but for the well-being of their bodies. And we can take a lesson from that this morning. That Jesus wants us to make sure that our bodies are 
taken care of. And he is concerned about their, uh, their empty stomachs. He turns to the disciples, as you know, he says, you feed them. How would you feel? They're out in the middle of the wilderness, the Bible says. There's no McDonald's. There's no Chick-fil-A. There's no Jersey Mike subs. There's no Outback Steakhouse. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you feed them. What would you say? What would you do? You would probably do exactly what they did. Lord, we don't have anything. But there's this little boy passing by. You kind of feel bad for the kid, right? He's got a, he's got a, a, a packed lunch. His mom is making sure that he's got some fish sandwiches. And, he, and they, they grab this boy's lunch. <laughs> Say, we found five little barley loaves and two fish. And you know the story that as this uh, little boy, he says, well, Jesus, you can have my lunch. There's another great lesson for us. When we take the meager things that God has put in our hands and we put them into the hands of Jesus, how many know miracles are possible? You take the meager things, the meager paycheck, the meager talents, the meager abilities that God has put in your hands, you put them in the hands of Jesus, do you know what happens? They begin to multiply. They begin to do miraculous things that you cannot do in your own strength. And that little boy thought that he was only going to feed himself that day, but by his faith and through the power of Christ, 5,000 men plus their families ate. And the Bible says they ate until they were full. And they collected what was left over. Twelve baskets full, right? That speaks about God's overwhelming blessing, overwhelming power, overwhelming miraculous. Listen, God is a God who overwhelms us, who doesn't only meet the need of the hour, but He is able to overwhelm. Okay, so that's the incredible story at the beginning of John chapter 6. But that's not the end of the chapter. Something happens between the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. Like if that was the only thing in John chapter 6, that would be a very powerful and very encouraging and very positive Caleb message of John chapter 6. But if you take the time and have the strength to really comprehend the full chapter, you will be amazed. In John chapter 6, we have these two verses that I want to compare back to back. We have John chapter 6, verse 2, which says, A great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. In our world today, that is the definition of ministry success. That is the definition of megachurch success. Many people, a great multitude followed him. Jesus feeding the multitude, ministering to the multitude. But how many, how many recognize this morning that that was a very strange moment in Jesus' ministry? When you look at the totality of his ministry, how many times was he ministering to a multitude? Only a very few, right? Most of the time he was speaking to a very small group of people. His disciples, somebody comes and asks Jesus a question, a Pharisee, Sadducee, 
Very rarely is Jesus speaking to more than 20 or 30 people at a time. Most of his ministry that we read in the New Testament is to a small group of people, just like we have here today. That gives me encouragement. If Jesus taught to a small church, you know what? I can teach to a small church too. But what's interesting is that here in this chapter, Jesus uh, is teaching not to a small group, but to a multitude, as we just read. Verse 2. Now compare that to verse 66. Everybody still with, still with me? Got your Bibles open? Just go down from verse 2 to verse 66. You're going to be amazed. Listen to verse, which is interesting, John 6, verse 66, which says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The title of this section in my Bible says, Many Disciples Turn Away. We have to recognize that even the miracles of Jesus were not enough to keep the disciples in this chapter. And you think about how quickly things have shifted now. In one chapter, most of you, this is on the same page or the next page of your Bible, on one side, Jesus is teaching and preaching and feeding multitudes, right? And just a few verses later, they're all turning away from him. What changed? What happened? What could possibly cause such a swing, such a shift in momentum? Jesus, you must be a ministry failure, man. You can't keep your church together. What could cause such a turnaround, such a winnowing of followers? This is certainly, uh, we would call Jesus a megachurch failure. He had so many people, and they walked away. The answer to this question is the issue that we're talking about today. It's the issue of labor. It's the same issue why so many are turning away from the church today. Why so many are leaving the faith, why so many of the next generation are becoming atheists instead of faithful followers. And this is exactly what the Bible predicted about the end times. Did you know that? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, capital D, the day of the Lord will not come unless a falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The world as we are seeing it, as we are living in it today, the world is being prepared and even now is beginning to enter a time of an incredible falling away. The Western world, the Western world, the Western culture, which was built on the foundation and principles and morality of Christianity. From Aristotle to, uh, to the teachings of Christ, it is what the foundation of the Western world was built upon. All of the money, success, power, and might that we have in the West, Western Europe, and in the United States of America, Canada, other places, all of it was built on Christian morality 
and principles. And the very principles that we've been built on are now being destroyed. The foundation of our culture is crumbling underneath us. And that's why we are seeing such incredible shifts in the, the public faith and morality. Even now it's shifting under our feet and that's why the church of Jesus Christ is going through convulsions today. Why? Just like in the ministry of Jesus. It seems like one day thousands of people are having spiritual experiences with Christ. And the very next page, so many of them falling apart. The scripture that we began with today in verse 27 is related, I believe. Related perfectly to the turning away of so many disciples. And if we're not careful, it can begin to infect our hearts and our souls today. Right in the middle, this scripture comes after Jesus has fed the multitude, and yet before all of these disciples turn away from him. So it's right here in this time of testing. It's a time where Jesus begins to teach some things. How many know? Some things that began to surprise and confuse his followers. Let me just take a moment to remind you, as followers of Jesus, you know, there not every day is going to be as exciting and wonderful as your new convert days. When you were a new convert, how many know we, we had a wonderful time with Jesus? New convert life is a fantastic life. To see a new faith and a newly inspired hope in Christ is a beautiful thing. Jesus begins to overwhelm us with His blessing as new converts, right? He overwhelms us with His presence That's why you sit next to a new convert in a song service, their hands lifted, their eyes streaming tears of joy. Right? You've seen it. Maybe you can remember it. If it wasn't all those crusty years ago. How many know? Sometimes that time passes. Through the living of life and through various disappointments and setbacks, not every day is like that. We go through the same transition of time that was happening in the followers of Jesus this day. And it is in that time as we gain experience with Christ that we have important decisions to make as maturing believers. We have important decisions to make about our priorities in life. About what is going to allow us to continue either serving Him or to begin our long, slow fade away from Him. And I am so sad to stand up here this morning and report to you that as I've been saved for over 20 years now, I have seen people that I love and respect, people who are more godly than me, people who are more spiritual than me, people who had better prayer lives than me, I have lived long enough to see them walk away from Jesus. Walk away from church. Walk away from their ministries and their callings. I've lived long enough to see disciples turn away from Christ. People better than me and better than you. To see pastors and disciples walk away from Jesus. People that I would never have expected. 
people that I looked up to. I've lived long enough to see better people than you, better disciples than you. And so don't lie to yourself today and say, well, not, not, not me, never me, I could never. And it all comes down to a question of very small decisions about priorities. About what you're going to do. What sacrifices you're going to make or you're not going to make in the kingdom. What prices you're willing to pay and not willing to pay. And if we don't make those correct decisions, I want to tell you, it will lead to a winnowing of your faith. That's why this, what Jesus is teaching in our scripture is so critical for us this morning. Again, verse 27. Look at it again. Tattoo this on your heart today. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Now there might be some today who say, Woohoo, Pastor, guess what? Jesus said I could quit my job. <laughs> Woohoo! Let's run up our credit cards. Let's join a commune. Smoke a joint, somebody. We don't have to work. That's what Jesus said. Do not labor. That's not what Jesus said. <laughs> so don't take that little clip of my sermon out of the podcast and just play it over and over again. That would be a mistake. I have preached other messages, and you have to take this in balance this morning. We need to work jobs, yes? We need to be faithful with our finances. We need to make a living for our lives and provide for our families. Yes, all of those things are true. Jesus is not saying, be an idiot. But when Jesus is teaching this morning, do not labor for the food which perishes. Instead, Labor for the food which does not perish. What Jesus is doing is using a very famous strategy of Jewish teaching. He is presenting two contrasting opinions, two contrasting thoughts, and he's laying them next to one another and saying, make the right choice. The choice that he's laying before us in our scripture is either to labor for food which perishes or to labor for that which will never perish. And as you live your life, my brother, you're going to come to those decision points. As you live this life and as you make decisions about your willingness to sacrifice, you're going to come to those forks in the road. And you're going to have to choose, am I, at the end of the day, when I look back at my life, what is the defining truth about me? Am I laboring for something that one day is going to fade away and mean nothing? Or is my life defined by laboring for something that will last for eternity? My call today For every man of God, 
for every family, every lady here today, every young person making decisions for your future, listen to the words of Christ. Do not put your emphasis on the food which perishes. But the labor of our lives should be that which will endure. Because here's the truth this morning. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But it's not always a massage with warm butter. The truth is that the loaves that this life offers to you will perish. Why is it that so many of those who benefited from Jesus' ministry, why is it that on the same page they're eating, they're benefiting, they're blessed by Jesus, but only moments later they're walking? See you later, Christ. I don't want nothing to do with that. Why? Because for most of those people, it was all about the bread. It was all about the bread. It's all about what can Jesus do for me? How can he improve my life? In fact, the Bible says, and, uh, and you've heard preaching on this, the Bible says that this is the day after, right? They've all been fed. They've all been happy. Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, to the sea. And all of these people who had followed him, they're showing up again, right? They're coming to Jesus once again. And do you know why they're seeking him? Do you think they're seeking another sermon from Jesus? No, do you know what's happened? The bread and the fish that Jesus gave to them the day before, it's gone into their bellies. And the same thing happened to their food as what happens to your food. Guess what? It only satisfies for a moment. And pretty soon the bread that Jesus had blessed them with the bread and the fish, the loaves, guess what? It perished. It perished. It went in, and it came right back out. And pretty soon, they're hungry again. They're not hungry to hear more from the Lord. They're not hungry to receive more of His teachings. They're not hungry to to get more truth from the Lord. The Bible says they're there for another handout. What are you going to cook for us today, Lord? You know, what would be good is some eggs and bacon. Well, they were Jews. They probably didn't want any bacon. You know, it would be great, Lord, if you could just, you know, uh, you got a frying pan with you? Could you multiply some frying pans? Could you multiply some, some eggs? They're there for another meal, aren't they? Jesus understands that the people who were there when he fed 5,000, they were not really in it for the right reasons. And this begins the teaching that is going to begin to push people away. Sometimes Jesus' teachings will push us away. That's on purpose. Sometimes Jesus is testing our hearts, isn't he? He's beginning to challenge these people. Why are you really following me? Are you here just for a handout? Are you here just to collect your social security check? Are you here just because I fed you yesterday and now you're ready for another meal? And Jesus puts them to the test. He says in verse 26, as we read, 
You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Let me give you a healthy dose of reality. If all you labor for is the food which perishes, you will be empty. Will leave your life vanished. And you will show up to the Lord saying, I need more. I need more. Whatever a, a, a success you are able to achieve, however many hours you work, however many paychecks you make, however many bonuses you receive, I want to tell you, it's not enough. It will never be enough. You'll never be satisfied. Do not labor for the food which perishes. There is, my friends, there is a need for us to labor, work, to make a living. Jesus does not want you to be in poverty, of course. He is the one who gives us jobs, but he is also the one who asks us at the end of your life, you're not laboring for food which perishes. You are laboring for something which will endure to everlasting life. And I want to close this morning by speaking about laboring for life. Interwoven into this entire discussion here, beloved, is the discussion of the Sabbath. And I want to make sure that you all understand the Sabbath, the teaching of the Sabbath. It's an amazing thing to consider this morning. God, how many know? God loves to give his people freedom. It is for freedom you've been set free, right? Jesus came, and he, he taught that the, the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. That means to limit your freedom. But he says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus sets us free to live for him. Think of the incredible liberty that he gave to the first married couple. In the Bible, Adam and Eve, think of the incredible freedom he created them with. Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. How much incredible freedom did did these people have? How much choice did they have to make? And by the way, that's the definition of freedom, is you have more choices, not less. That's why socialism is such a loser, because it limits our choices. Don't let me go off on that tangent. But freedom, God wants to let you live free. But in that freedom, listen carefully, the teaching of Sabbath is that in your freedom, God gives limitations. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of this tree, the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, you shall not eat. Right? So much freedom to have whatever you want. Peach, go ahead. Pear, go for it. Bananas, yeah, you can have anything you want. Apples, there is so much selection. But there's one tree that's, this is my tree, and you're not going to touch this tree. 
in our freedom, God gives a limitation. Let me give you some other examples. How about in marriage? Right? We're going to have a marriage seminar pretty soon. And marriage is about sexual freedom. That's why men want to get married. Just so you know, ladies. (laughs) Men want to have sexual freedom. Even God encourages intimacy within marriage. He says, go ahead. Come on. Do it. Be fruitful and multiply. Make lots of babies. This is what God wants. Yes? But he says, there's a limit. The limit of sexual freedom is between a husband and a wife. Outside of that, shouldn't be happening. And when it does, it's destructive. Sexual intimacy is like a fire. A fire is something that is warm and pleasing when it stays in the fireplace. It's a wonderful blessing that can be in your home. But guess what? When that fire jumps out of the fireplace and gets onto the carpet, that's dangerous, isn't it? In the same way, God says, I want you to be free to express yourself sexually within the bounds of marriage. You see incredible freedom with a limitation. This is exactly what God teaches again as He gives us His own personal example through creation. As God creates the heavens and the earth and He does it all in six days. You know, God, He he set the week to be seven days. He could have taken an extra day to create a few more awesome things. But the Bible says on the seventh day, He... Six days of creation... Six days of amazing creativity. Birds and animals and plants and people and everything that we see with our eyes. God is at work. But on one day, God steps back from His creation and looks at all that He has done. And He says it is good. He leaves a day where He is not working we can learn something from this if God takes a day of rest don't you think it might be a good idea for you the idea behind all of this is the idea of the Sabbath God puts a restriction on our freedom when it comes to our money think about this And we're going to close this, wrap it up in just a moment. God says, I want you to do great things with your money. I want you to take all of the freedom that you to do wonderful things with your money, but there's 10% that's going to belong to the church. That rightly belongs to the Lord. And if you take that 10% and you spend it on other things, the Bible tells us in Malachi... You're stealing from God. You have freedom with 90%. Whatever you want to spend your money on, be wise. But 10% is not for you. Again, it's the same, same mentality. Incredible freedom with a limitation. What Jesus is teaching in our scripture, he's saying, listen, you're not here because you want 
greater freedom. You're here because you don't want to be limited in any way by me. Can the Lord still limit your life? Can he still look at your priorities and say this, I want you to give this to me? Can he still look at your schedule? Does God have access to your calendar? Does God have access to say, no, you're too busy. You need to get back into my will. Does God still take priority over your boss's schedule? I can't tell you how many times I've had to say no to my boss. Part of me looks back and says, man, I must be a bad employee. How many times can you pick up an extra shift? Ah, sorry. I, uh, I got something happening that day. Could you come in? Could you cover a shift? I must be a terrible employee. Or maybe I have my priorities in the right place. I'm not perfect. I want to tell you, this has been a fight. It's been a struggle for me. How many customers I've had to reschedule? Can you come on this day? Nope, that's a Wednesday. Can you Listen, I'm available on Sunday. Sorry. Sunday. I'm a preacher. I have priorities. This is not just for pastors or preachers or ministry. Listen, this ought to be for every believer. There ought to be some limitations on your freedom this morning. I got one amen. Pastor, I'm free. Jesus came to set me free. Yes, he did. But why? The freedom that Christ grants you is not for you. It is for the bread which will never perish. Let's close and think about the food which endures to everlasting life. The Bible speaks about some who would be saved and yet go through the fire. It gives us an image of those, yes, who are on their way to heaven and will make heaven their home. And yet, it's though they show up there as if they've just escaped a burning building. If you are escaping from a burning building, you know, it's like uh, it's taking everything from you. You've woken up in the middle of the night, your house is on fire, you have two minutes to get out of the house, or you're going to die. The only thing that you run out of the house with is whatever you've got in your hands, and perhaps the clothes on your back, and they're, 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 they're in tatters because you've run through the fire. The Bible says some people are going to show up to heaven like that. Having prepared nothing, having sent nothing ahead, being destitute in the kingdom of God. Now, if you want that for your life, go for it. But I believe God has better things for us. There is a way to invest in the food which will endure. When we labor, not for those things which perish, but when we labor for those things which endure forever, 
The Bible says we are making future investments in our eternal life. Can you imagine that? Every time you drop an offering or a tithe into the basket, that's not just paying bills for the church. Somebody say amen. Amen. We want to pay the church bills. But far greater than that, do you know what you're doing? You are purchasing the loaves which will last. You are purchasing, you are making an investment in a heavenly kingdom. You are building your account for eternity. If we would truly live as citizens of heaven, we would want to give our 90% and only keep the 10. Better to be rich toward God and poor toward the world. But we don't live like that, do we? We think that I can eat these loaves that, 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 you know, that will fill me up for a moment and be eternally satisfied. We are lying to ourselves. My call this morning, my brother, my sister, do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life. You know, we're only on this planet for a little blip of history. You might get 70 or 80 years or 90 if you're lucky like my grandmother. Not lucky, blessed. 96 years. She may even get to 100. I'm rooting for her, man. She'd give me hope. You might get to triple digits. God blesses you. Can I tell you that a hundred years in the span of eternity is nothing? Nothing. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, 10,000 years from now, you'll still be in heaven. And you'll still be either benefiting from good decisions on this earth, or you'll be full of regrets. I wish I would have done more. 10,000 years from now. What about you? How much will all of your bonuses and paychecks and promotions, how much will they count for in eternity? Can we be real? Are we going to be able to, to, to say to Jesus, look, Jesus... Look at my stellar performance. Look at all the wonderful things my bosses said about me. Look, I'm all about doing a good job when you're at work. But I would much rather please my Father in heaven. I would much rather be a blessing to the kingdom and to the church of Jesus Christ, which is languishing. Can we be honest? The church needs you. The church needs you. I need you. I need disciples to rise up. But that will never happen as long as we are laboring primarily for the food which perishes. This is how we foster life. Life. The life which endures in eternity. On Friday, I went to the 
March for Life in Washington, D.C. It was a powerful, powerful moment. Half a million people gathered there on the Capitol lawn. All of us were there with an intense passion for the unborn, the preborn, trying to make a way for them to live. We love life. This is how we foster life. Because when we place our priority on earthly things and earthly... Do you know why abortion happens so often? I can't afford a baby right now. That's the bread of this life that perishes. How is it you can place the needs of paying bills above a life that God has created? What we must do and what we must examine our lives... Where are my priorities? Are my priorities in the kingdom? Or are they on the bread which perishes? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Do not labor for the bread which perishes. As we bring this service to a close and as God begins to speak to our hearts right now, I want to take just a moment and remind you of the the greatest message that has ever been told, the message of hope in Christ. Hope for salvation. You'll never experience the bread of life which will last for eternity, which will endure for all time, unless first you recognize your need for a Savior. Maybe you're here. Say, Pastor, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. My heart is far from Him. I've slipped and I've slid away from the faith. I place all my hopes, dreams, desires, and wishes on things that are passing away. And I recognize my need for salvation today. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Is that you? I want to pray with you. You slip up your hand. Say, please remember me in prayer. Thank you for that hand. You're not right with God and you need salvation today. Your sins are destroying you like a cancer from the inside out. Your rebellion and your your disobedience against God are destroying you. You can receive salvation today. Is that you? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand. Anyone else? You know, right now, you believe God's speaking to you. Maybe backslidden in your heart and you need salvation. Can I see your hand? You be honest for just a moment. Let me see your hand. Anyone at all? Quickly today. Quickly, quickly, quickly. You lifted your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Sister, you can come. Someone's going to pray with you at the altar today. Let's believe God for just a few moments. At the end of our lives, we're going to look back. We're also going to be looking forward to an eternity with Christ. And I'm wondering, the decisions that you're making today, are they going to be decisions that you are proud of? The schedule that you're keeping, is it a schedule that you will be grateful for? 
the hours that you're laboring for food which perishes, will you look back at it one day and say, oh God, God, I wanted to do more for your kingdom. I wanted to win more lost souls. I wanted to do more for the church of Jesus Christ. I wanted to go on more impact teams. I wanted to make a greater difference with my life. Don't let that be you today. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.